Okay, guys, bang, bang, bang. This is Alternative Data News. I'm Aubrey Hodges. Let's get into it. Welcome back. We've got Eric Newley from Queso Pod stopping by. Eric, what's up? Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me, man. Awesome. So we were catching up, you know, earlier, just talking about the whole alternative data space. And uh, let's just kick things off right out the gate. Um, why is it so hard, you know, to, um, to work in alternative data with respect to to, to hedge funds. Everyone thinks they're the uh, red lady in the room, right? Which they are. Um, everyone's grabbing at them, pulling straws, et cetera. Uh, what makes it so challenging to kind of work within the confines of alternative data and then alternative data as it relates to spe- as it relates specifically to, um, to working with hedge funds? Um, alternative data, it's, it's difficult because it's not a, there's not a standard around it, right? It's no standardization really uh, to the space. Um, The specific data sets that are popular, yes, they may have a standardization to it. Uh, Mobile location data or credit card receipt data, that has a certain standardization, global standardization. But when you, but the use cases for it, you know, everyone creates their own model and their own mix. And you're talking about some of the smartest, most talented data scientists, engineers in the world, and they ask a billion questions. And uh, and in the DDQs, of course, we always talk about the DDQs. Oh, DD, the DDQs. I think I, I think I have a backlog myself of at least four or five. Exactly. So you're jumping through so many hoops to deal with the with, with the hedge fund, right? So you know, a lot of times it's funny because I the the the, the companies that we have partners that we actually source data from and they're always like you know we're just really worried about compliance and and is this is this legit is this okay and the policies and gdpr and this you're like listen trust me the ddq that i'm that i gotta fill out gonna take me two weeks trust me it, it's compliant everything checks out you know the the the, the the buyer is is in better shape legally than the the actual producer and seller of it. So they 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 check more boxes than the seller does. So uh, so that that's a good thing when you when you do deal with the hedge funds that you know you know every box is covered, but that's also one of the hindrances of the of the industry is that every box needs to be covered and, and checked a million ways. And it takes six months to cut a deal. And I mean, if you're working on a deal for six months, it better be worth it, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, that can be that can be one of the challenges. Sometimes duration, right? Whether it's six months or a year um, can only materialize in, you know, revenue or check size that, you know, isn't equivalent to the amount of work that you're putting in. Sure, it's great business, but you know, a fifty thousand dollar check for, you know, six months versus a fifty thousand dollar check for two years. You know, it, it tends to be the latter that happens the majority of the time, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. So, look, you know, why don't um, you know, why don't you kind of give us give, give me the backdrop? You know, the quick, 
you know, the quick 30 second backdrop on you, how you got into the space. Obviously I've known you for quite some time, several years now, and, you know, highly respect a lot of the things that you're doing, you know, with QuesoPod, you know, focused on EM Latin America, which has got to be an incredible space to in given that, you know, you have clear lane visibility runway to see the market, develop the market, build the market. Um, but then on the complex side, you know, from a, from a, um, a cultural standpoint, that's got to be pretty challenging as well, just given, you know, we tend to move in different speeds than people do in other countries on the markets where they're not as fluent, you know, on topics. So how, how'd you, uh, how'd you kind of get into the space? What's your background? Give us the, the quick 30 second backdrop. How we got into the space was we were working well I, I i went down to latin america five six years ago i started going down there in the winter i can't deal with the new york winters any any longer so i started wintering down in, in, in <laughs> panama and colombia um linked up with uh, some tech guys in, in in the region and and um we began some like web scraping projects in which we were scraping like grocery stores and supermercados, they call them, um, for different products for uh, a project we did with the International Development Bank. And uh, that was kind of like a, a inflationary tool that we kind of created. Post that we started going to some alternative data uh, conferences and the guys are like, hey, we like what you're doing, but we we just don't see how that fits. But if you could get some credit card data in like Mexico, we buy that. <laughs> so we kind of did a did a soft pivot, right? So we kind of got more into the transaction lane, and we've been doing that for about two and a half, three years, like really focused in that lane and and uh, uh, figuring out you know anywhere anything from credit debit card transactions to like you know receipt transactions that itemize granular receipt transaction to uh, mobile location data. Those are kind of our, that, that's kind of our trifecta. That's kind of like what we deliver to the market in our niche region, which is LATAM, you know, primarily Brazil, Mexico, uh, English speakers, North people in North America, gringos, we say, they think that Spain's Latin America for some reason. So Spain's kind of fallen, fallen under our umbrella so that's another one of our tier one markets interesting i mean don't don't you find it so intriguing at least i do that majority of people probably don't even check their banking statements but yet the most complex investors in the world want to know exactly what people are spending their money online listen i don't check my bank statements and i sell <laughs> transaction data is that crazy right you know, I'll see like a recurring per payment on my on my statement. Like I check it every six months. I'm like, what the hell? I've been paying freaking 35 bucks a month for this. Like for some, you know, um, insider newsletter or something. And I like, what the, whatever. And I, but I sell, but I, I inspect transaction data all day. So I guess I'm looking at everyone else's transaction data, but except for mine. Uh, but you know, it's, it's, uh, I mean, it, it, it's it's a really cool business to be in. Uh, it's a very small niche business. Not many people in the world actually know what it is. Uh, and the level of insights and the amount of things that can that can flourish from 
what we're able to produce is, is amazing. I mean, you know, it, it, and, and people think that selling data is so bad. It's like, well, no, it actually solved a lot of problems. It, it actually solved a ton of problems. COVID, COVID being one of them, right? So COVID tracing really, you know, that credit card transaction data really kind of took off publicly um, during the COVID breakout when they for COVID, COVID tracing, a lot of countries are using uh, transaction data to try to understand where certain things were happening, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, you know, the numbers don't lie, you know, they help you sort of gauge on a trajectory level, signal-based level, kind of where, where things are heading, you know, what the roadmap potentially looks like, you know, how can you expedite things? Um, and ultimately the data is gonna tell you, even as an investor, you know, you know, is this an area that we wanna focus on? And if there are opportunities there, who's grabbing market share, you know, et cetera. Um, intelligence, yeah, that's, a, that's, a big, that's really a big uh, aspect of the Intelligence, you know, industry trends, you know, you know, all those different things. I, I generally say that, you know, as someone myself that works in alternative data in a completely different space, but more so focused on, you know, internet names, alternative data to me feels like what the expert network industry felt like, you know, back in 2005, 2006, right? Um, and I think we're just starting to, to kind of scratch the surface of the potential there, uh, assuming that uh, that everyone can kind of find their, find their lane and navigate that and continue to, you know, press on and press forward, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, one, one big thing about alternative data is that, you know, probably over the last five or six years that you notice is that, you know, it's it's all, like, you know, 90% of the stuff is coming deriving from phones, right? From phones, you know, it's just coming, you know, whether it's coming, it's coming, it's a, it's a phone, a, a user-based output is most of what this alternative data is. Um, whether at least the data, set, data sets that are high, so. It's, it's really derived from our mobile usage, from our from our from, from consumer output at scale. So yeah, yeah. Now you know what you know a lot of a lot of folks you know in the industry as as do I, and you typically hear a lot of the same you know same challenges et cetera with multiple data sets whether it's credit card, debit, transactional, geolocation et cetera. There seems to be a large amount of um, you know. Uh, commoditization to a certain extent here in the right and so do you think that the industry overall needs to evolve a you know outside of north america where there's less visibility oh absolutely uh but the thing about the united states and i was just on the phone earlier today at like 10 o'clock off talking about this uh you know in the u.s we sometimes forget Right, that we are inundated with data. It's, it's, it's kind of baked into our society. You know, you're listening to the TV or the radio getting ready for work or driving in. And, you know, they're talking about the, you know, the, 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 the uh, uh, inflation numbers, unemployment numbers, non-farm payroll numbers. Uh, all these numbers, are, we're, we're always cons consistently bombarded with them, right? So we, you know, just as, as Americans, you just have a lot of reporting being done. 
and that's being done by our government is facilitating that transparency of our markets. And because of that, you can have foreign investment or any type of investment making a decision on that because you have transparency. When you start to go to emerging markets, you know, <laughs> you don't have anywhere near that level of transparency of the localized markets. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so being able to understand that data, especially alternative data, which is not, you're not relying on the governments or, or agencies in that country or region to report things. Now you're looking at something else and getting a way better, deeper, more granular insight on that. Yeah, of course. That's going to allow, that is going to allow a much broader um, 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 reach for foreign investment to these markets, no doubt about it. Yeah, absolutely. How, how have you found it, you know, over the last year now that, you know, we haven't been able to do roadshows, meeting conferences that we typically go to, you know, with, you know, some of the firms that we that we both know uh, pretty well, work closely with Battlefin, Eagle Alpha, New Data, et cetera. Um, how have you found the landscape in terms of you know, how do you navigate not being able to meet with folks uh, in person, and then you know, on the other side, with uh, the companies that I just mentioned, that were all very components of of driving those facilitations. Um, you know, who do you think is uh, is winning the race there? Personally, you know, Battlefin was probably the first and early pioneer in my space. Off did a great job. You know, really set the tone for a lot of the. Uh, structure for how meetings get done, the efficiency, the scale, uh, doing it, whether it was in New York or Miami or London. Uh, but now you've got some other guys, you know, creeping up, you know, taking market share. You've got Eagle Alpha, um, which continues to do a great job. You've also got new data in London as well. So, so curious to get your thoughts on on those guys and who you think is, uh, is winning the race or, you know, be becoming um you know equally as valuable in this um this this new world that we sit in yeah because everything's everything's shifting right so uh, it, it's not a face-to-face -face world and i don't think we're ever going back to it. like i just think that you're you're more efficient i can talk to seven i can have seven calls today i could never go see seven people you know in a day before right so i could it, it allows us to interface in a different way, but you're interfacing with more volume, uh, probably higher quality. Um, you're not wasting as much time. So um, that's cool. Now, the companies that are facilitating this, the Battlefields, the Eagle Alphas, the New Datas, the conferences, they're still having their conferences. They're just doing virtually, right? I'm sure we're going to get back to like, you know, having a conference, you know, but it's probably not, maybe not for the four or five a year. We're probably going to have that one big major one a year now. And the rest are going to be virtual. It's just more cost effective for them, and it's easier for the providers and easier for the firms. Right? So um, now, who's winning these races? Hmm. Well, 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 let's take a let's take a take a step there because you know uh, it, it's great talking to people on the phone. It's it's highly efficient, it's scalable, etc. You know, one of the things you don't get, which is the value add of those in persons, which is you know, I'm talking to to you and, you know, walks by, you know, two other guys that I know. And it's just, you know, 
you can randomly run into people, start conversations, connect with people who you haven't had the chance to, you know, uh, to, to, to catch up with or you've been meaning to catch up with. So there are those elements of the virtual conferences that provide value outside of just those face-to-faces that you can't really duplicate in a virtual world. That's true. That is true. That is true. Right? I mean, think about how many impromptu meetings you have at you know, you know a Battlefield conference where you just randomly run into someone and it's, you know, hey, what's up? How you doing? I've been meaning to catch up. Yeah, let's, you know, let's catch up for two minutes now. And these are kind of like the side pocket meetings, but a lot of those meetings um, are probably happening more so than than the normal face to face meetings. Absolutely, the, you're 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 booking meetings on the side more than the ones that you have scheduled at these conferences. So everybody's like, wait, wait what data set do you got now? Like, oh yeah, I got this one, and they're like, okay, hey, listen, let's 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 grab a drink after this. Okay, great. And, you know, so though that does go away, so you're not getting that impromptu that though you're not you know um, you're not gaining that. That's true. That's true. Uh, and and like I said, we're eventually, you know, we're gonna. I think we're gonna get sick of being at home eventually, right? Then we're gonna get back get back into um, maybe those conferences. I, you know, whether we get back into the office like we used to, not exactly sure about that. I think more people are gonna be working remote. But yeah, yeah, I, I think these conferences, these conferences definitely help. These, no doubt about it, these conferences definitely help. It just gives you exposure to people you wouldn't be exposed to, right? So. Sure, sure. Um, if we were kind of thinking through Battlefront Eagle Alpha new data um, in terms of year one, year two, year three, how would you rank those guys in terms of you know the 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 priority um, you know on the street these days based on what they historically have done, what they're doing now, um, the value add that they uh, that they drive and deliver, et cetera. Us, I I hate to listen. I'm people are going to get mad at me no matter what, right? So number one is going to be happy. Number three is going to be like Eric. I can't believe you said this. Podcast, <laughs> right? So, um, like I would say, new data. Just I think they are just more. Um, they they hold hands on both sides, right? So they're, they're working with the data provider, checking in with you. They're nurturing the relationship a lot better than the other firms. That's one thing I could probably say about this business. If you wanna be a data broker, pick up the phone, arrange meetings, talk to your data providers, even if you don't have a lead for them, just pick up the phone every 60 days and say, let's just, let's just get on a call and, and, and let's talk it out, see what you got new, see what you guys are developing good now we're going to update that in our internal so the clients can see this and that's one thing i think that new data does a really good job of so yeah they're always hanging you just trying to figure out what's new in your data set and then i'm sure they're doing that on the other side as well and it, and it tends to bring in more leads than the others yeah yeah interesting you know new data you know is um you know it's Seems like they certainly have, you know, have a very good product, a very good offering. You know, I've, I've had experiences with all three. You know, I, I generally like the work that the guys at Eagle Alpha do. You know, mm -hmm. I think they are innovative, you know, and, and while, you know, they, you know, uh, pivot um, a tremendous amount, 
they're always thinking about innovation, new product offerings, new services. I think they do a, a very good job at connecting the dots, not just on the broker or the facilitation side, but also on, you know, the, the product side to a certain degree. I agree with that. No doubt about it. Eagle you know, out when it they, comes to the product. Yep. They have this amount of, you know, web seminars that they that they put out or other types of, you know, ways to engage. Um, the, and the guys over there, you know, they do a really good job. Um, you know, they've got a very good handle. Some of their events are, you know, pretty large in terms of volume. Um, and, you know, it seems like they have exposure to both U.S. and Europe, whereas my thoughts on new data is more so heavily focused on them hosting and catering to sort of the European audience. Seems oh. like they, they do a lot of many more events in the UK. Um, I've been invited to events in Amsterdam that they host. So it seems like their footprint, you know, which respectively is, is the correct one given where their, their HQ is out of London, more so focused on Europe. I could be wrong though, um, but that's just the perception from my side. No, it's, 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 it's Europe heavy, it's European heavy. Um, but that's that's the thing too. Like I, I mean, we got a Spain data set, so that that you know, we we service that Spain market. So um, I, I guess it's pretty popular. <laughs> it, it, yeah. it, it overlaps for us, right? So, uh, but yeah, no, I, I would agree with every point that you've made. Um, I think Eagle Alpha, as far as product wise, yeah, they they knock it out. They have the innovation. Um, you know, they have their uh, biweekly. Um, uh, bi-monthly uh, 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 calls that you can call in, just, you know, get on Zoom and you can hear them, you know, give their uh, 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 updates about what's going on, what products they, they're rolling out, bring in a nice panel to talk about things. Um, so shout out to them for that. Uh, but as far as like actively working leads for you and, and parent and matchmaking, basically, right? I think that new data does a really good job with that they actually are a really good matchmaking service. Uh, so, and, I, and, if, and being from a, a data provider standpoint, that's at the end of the day, that's what, a, that's what a rubber meets the road, as they say. And that's what really matters, right? Who, who, who can you put in front of me? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it, it's interesting, you know, obviously we sit on the side where you and I, we talk to, you know, a number of funds on the street, um, you know, some corporates as well, people trying to, understand the signals that our data, you know, provides them with, how it can help them, you know, uh, problem solve and, you know, provide visibility in the blind spots. I'm curious though, what do you think some of the challenges for, for hedge funds or for, for anyone in the spaces when it comes to working with service providers, right? Because, you know, there's gotta be a two-sided two -sided relationship there. You know, for the funds, I can only imagine that a, you know, service providers are very green. You know, mm -hmm. they have access to large amounts of data sometimes, which they don't back test themselves, which they don't, um, you know, have, you know, enough seasoning in terms of historicalness. Um, is it formatted in the right, you know, way? So, you know, I can only imagine that some of the bottleneck, you know, that, uh, that people complain about in terms of how, um, you know, the sales process is, 
some of that's just plainly due to providers not having their ducks in a row, right? Some of them don't even have standard paperwork or legal paperwork for that matter that, that helps these guys really sort of understand, you know, the nuances of their, of their data, both the, you know, where the value is, where they over-index, where they under-index. What are your general there? Yeah, everything you said times 100. Uh, I think a lot of the data providers and us too, you know, we had, there was a learning curve for us as well. I mean, you just, you know, you, you, know, you, you get beat up a few times and then you, you start to figure it out. You start, you start to learn how to fight. And so you, you, um, so you got, you definitely got to take your lumps and, and, and understand what, what is value for the firms, right? For the funds. Um, to, to, to give yourself a, bet, a better shot to actually making those sales and, and, and converting. Um, yeah, I mean, you're taking this data, they're like, hey, is it formatted? Is it tagged? Is it, uh, you know, is it ticker tagged? Is it, is, it, is, it, is it clean? Is it aggregated? Is it normalized? You know, I mean, you have all these things that you have to figure out. Data's data. That's great. You know, you got a, you got a raw product. You got oil, right? You just got it's oil out the ground. You got some Texas sweet crude. That's all you got, right? But and what can somebody do with a barrel of Texas sweet crew? We know it has value, but until it's refined and made into the certain product for that particular vertical, then it doesn't matter, right? It needs to be refined into that product that goes to the uh, to the to the to the gas industry, and, and it has to be refined to, to to go to that product to go to the nylon and fabric industry and the plastics industry and all these other industries that the the the, the oil industry fuels. Same thing with data. So when they talk about data as the new oil, that is true because it is that 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 natural product, right? It's that it's that byproduct that comes off of uh, consumer use, anything, any any type of uh, consistent um, interaction. That's that data byproduct. Now it needs to be refined to fit into certain models or quants or or just all types of different things. It doesn't matter for whether it's from for, for, for um, a marketing agency or for a systematic quant fund. doesn't matter what it is. It's, 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 it, it needs to be refined. And um, providers are starting to figure out how to refine. Um, and now we're seeing a gap being filled by companies, um, you know, like an Exable uh, or yeah. Cloud or whatever that are saying, hey, we're going to come in and just say, we're going to fill that void by taking raw data cleaning it up, formatting it, turning it into something so the funds can use. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I mean, because, you know, look, the, the data is the data. And, you know, I, and I'd like to think that, you know, it's not going to be as smooth as, you know, people would presume that it is. It's going to be probably very choppy. Yep. Um, but, you know, the value is it's trying to tell a story with the data and sort of how does that story kind of fit into the mold of both, you know, sort of the top-down macro situation, bottoms up fundamental basis when it comes to, you know, to companies or market share or competitive dynamics, um, trends, you know, et cetera. Um, yeah, the guys at Exabo, great product, you know, able to turn out some, some really good, you know, insights with, uh, with with what they're what they're offering. Uh, shout out to the uh, Nat over there, who we uh, we've known for quite a number of years. Really great guy, doing a lot of great stuff on their partnership side. Um, who I know, you're also um, 
uh, familiar with as well and talk to, right? Yep. That's the guy. Got it. Um, so, you know, really quickly, let's kind of do some quick two minute, you know, fire, you know, fire, fire drill sessions here. I'm going to ask you about, um, you know, a, a couple things. You give me your personal preferences, you know, we'll kind of go from there. Um, you know, in terms of clients that you, uh, you know, like her to work with, if you had to choose one or the other, are you going with quants or are you going with discretionary long short funds? Long shorts. Hedge funds or corporates? Corporates. Uh, in your case in region, Brazil or Mexico? Uh, Mexico. Uh, any specific region, you know, let's just say New York or London? New York, no doubt about it, New York. Credit card data or location data? Credit card data. If you think between Eagle Alpha and new data. Oh, new data. New data. Um, Yankees or Brooklyn Nets? 2021 Brooklyn Nets. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> best, um, best social media platform, if we were looking out 10 years from now, you would say would be the first internet company to really be considered an alternative data company? Facebook oh. Facebook or Twitter? <laughs> Twitter. I, I didn't even let you get it out. That's just, that's, <laughs> that's it right there. I mean, everybody's scanning Twitter right now. It almost, it almost is a alternative data uh, uh, platform, you know? Yeah. I always say Twitter is the original blockchain. It's the first blockchain we've ever seen. Oh, I mean, well, I mean, it's just, it's remarkable, you know, what's happening with with Twitter, non-fungible tokens, et cetera. I mean, the fact that there is a, a thing that you can go back to and see at an exact date and time for specific tweets, yep. that's pretty remarkable. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is, it is a blockchain. That's what, that's what Twitter really is. It's just, at the time, they didn't know that's what it was called. <laughs> now you have, have all these people in there like crypto, blockchain technology. I'm like, yeah, Twitter, exactly what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and lastly, you know, as you kind of, uh, as you kind of think about the space, and obviously it's a very small community. Uh, most majority of us see each other at conferences um, or on Zoom meetings or virtual calls these days. Um, people looking to break into the industry, um, you know, what, what's the best piece of advice that you, uh, that you would give them? Uh, don't be afraid to reach out to people. Like right now is an amazing time to be in the alternative data space because like I can literally go to pretty much any CEO of any alter, you know, or, or founder of any alternative data company and just ping them on LinkedIn and get them on a call and we can just like, you know, chop it up for half an hour and talk about our pain points and they can talk about their pain points. And they're just, we're talking about it from one perspective and they're talking about it from another perspective. And at this time, it's still approachable. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? People are still approachable at this time. Five years from now, these guys are gonna be billionaires, right? Hopefully I'll, you know, maybe I get my, you know, few million, I'll be happy. But you know, hey, people are gonna be, these companies are going to be the mega companies five years from now. When you outlook, you know, when you do that outlook, 
and they won't be so approachable. Sure. sure got sure. 5,000 Bitcoins in 2010, you can go up and talk to them. You're not talking to them now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's just how it works. So. Yeah. You're not, you're not, you're not getting that, you're not getting that, uh, that reach. Hey, spe speaking of, uh, speaking of Bitcoin, I was, uh, I was listening to a podcast, huh. uh, a threat, early adopter of Bitcoin. I think it was like way, way back in the day, he, you know, a piece of land or I think he was like, like one point might've been like between two and $5 million. And he used, he used Bitcoin, uh, purchased the land. Um, you know, as a way to sort of demonstrate that Bitcoin could be utilized, you know, as a, as a transactional tool, you know, had he, had he held on to those, like those Bitcoin, I think he said it would have been roughly around like a quarter of a billion dollars versus the, the two and a half million he spent on the, on the land. Yeah. yeah it's a lot of land, brother. Um, <laughs> it's not a lot of Bitcoin, so <laughs> he kind of he kind of overshot it on, on, on. Yeah, long story short, don't uh, don't utilize Bitcoin for land or for people. Right? Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. Like I know a guy that actually, you know, um, he used to buy all types of crazy stuff on the Silk Road with his Bitcoins and stuff. He said, ah, he spent hundreds and thousands of Bitcoins on stuff back in 2010, 2011. He's like, man, if I had those now. I mean, he still has a lot of crypto. So he does, he's doing remarkably well, but he, you know, he, he, he sacrificed a lot of them when, when no one really understood that true value of it. For sure, for sure. Um, well, also, Eric, this has been really great. Great to catch up, looking forward to uh, you know, talking with you, um, you people that we know, having these, you know, these qualitative conversations which just, you know, unlock value, they help people sort of pivot, understand where they're going, how to get there, you know, where's the data, what sources, um, the methodologies behind it, you know, how to create more value for ourselves, for our clients, for the funds that we work with, um, and, you know, everything, entire everything together. So appreciate the time and we will do this again. Thanks, sir. Absolutely. Take care, brother. Hey, guys, if you found this episode helpful, useful, and you enjoyed the content, you know, make sure to follow us on all the appropriate channels, subscribe to the cast, and leave a positive review. It really helps us continue to grow, you know, put out amazing content, and it helps other people in the industry, you know, find the platform and the channel as well so that we can continue to grow and keep putting out you know fresh related news and content every day until the next time this is adn providing alternative data news always in all ways <laughs>